On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, the story of Fredo, my little six-year-old puppy who is dealing with a heart problem. What streaming services are kicking ass and which ones are struggling? And Karen Duffy, Duff from her MTV days, talks about her brand new book. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. Sue, it was a difficult week in the uh, Mason household this past week as little Fredo got diagnosed with congestive heart failure. I am so saddened by that. So how is he doing? He is doing okay. He Mm -hmm. gets his one week uh, checkup tomorrow. Uh, Seems to have calmed down, seems to have settled down. And, you know, they said, the vet said, the cardiologist, it could be, you you could get a, a year or 18 months or even multiple years. So we're optimistic that, uh, that this is going to work out okay. And we're going to get some bonus time with uh, Freda. One of the things I wanted to mention, though, is I don't know what you, if you've looked carefully at the ingredients on the dog food uh, that you use, uh, but um, Apparently, if it doesn't have grain in it, it's bad for a dog's heart. This is what our cardiologist told us. Have you run into this? No, but I got to tell you something. Pet food stores really need to be monitored because they sell a lot of things that are not good for dogs, like rawhide. Terrible for dogs, especially small dogs, because it doesn't digest. Yeah, yeah, right. And it gets caught in their system and it can be lethal. And I actually questioned a salesperson one day and I said, why do you sell it? You know, she says, look, I just work here. Yeah, well, I mean, I was there, you know? I was, I was uh, empathizing here with the woman that just worked there because I'm yeah, sure she doesn't yeah. control the inventory. Exactly, but it's really uh, how how does that happen? Yeah, I, I mean, look, look, it's un- be- it's an unregulated market, right? They can put anything out that they want. What's interesting is, so we've always bought them expensive dog food, right? This sort yes. of designer dog, you know, spend mm-hmm. extra money on it. Well, as it turns out, our cardiologist says, no, Purina One is fine. Purina One has grain. It's totally fine. It's totally good for them. Oh, my God. And, you know, I always kind of like gave friends of mine shit for for using that kind of food. It's like, come on, you know, don't you care about your dog? Yep. And as it turns out, that's what that's what we and then we're like, are you kidding me? So all this time we've been spending extra and it hasn't been good for. Fredo. But we've switched the foods now. 
We're transitioning to the new food. I'm feeling optimistic. I'm feeling positive. He does seem like the same little boy he was uh, two weeks ago. So I, I feel good about that. I feel good. Well, that's about great that. because when I got that text from you, I was devastated because I've, I've gotten other texts from you with sad news about dogs. And, uh, I was like, Oh no, not little Fredo. Um, yep. how, how old is he? He's only six. Oh, he's a baby. Yeah. He's a baby. He's a baby, but we're going to get, we're going to get a few years out. Notice I went from 18 months to a year and a half to multiple years to three years. So it's the prognosis is getting better. The longer I talk about it longer. Yeah, I talk well, about you know, you got to be positive about it. You know that every, every bit of positive help. So, yeah. So uh, Karen Duffy's going to get in here in a minute. She's got a brand new book, but I wanted to bounce this off you. Um, mm-hmm. So um, there are 14 Hollywood insiders who talk to vulture which is, I guess, kind of, I don't know, what would you call it? News site, entertainment News, site. Cu- culture site. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. And which streaming services are knocking it out of the park and which streaming services are struggling. So you want to take a shot at, according to these 14 experts in Vulture, the most successful streaming network so far. Is it Paramount? Paramount is number seven. Oh, wait, okay. wait, what else do you watch on Paramount? I watched The Offer. Did you watch the anything offer, else? Yeah, I have watched The Offer. I just see that they're coming out with all, you know, some kind of cool programming. So, yeah, they do. Um, they do. Probably what Amazon? Amazon is, you're, you're really, you're not good at this game. Amazon is actually uh, number six. Wow. So you, it's Disney, like you're Disney going Plus? in reverse. Disney Di- Plus? Disney Plus is number two. Now, Disney Plus, you probably don't watch as much because like I I'm don't. watching The Mandalorian yeah. and Ms. Marvel and WandaVision. You, you watch that on Disney Plus? You don't watch it on Amazon? No, Mrs. Disney Marvel? Plus. Oh, Mrs. Oh, Mrs. Marvel. You're Mrs. Talking about. Ms. Marvel, yeah. Ms. Marvel. Okay. As opposed to Mrs. Maisel, which is right. on uh, Prime. At no, Prime. they say the number one streaming service so far is HBO Max. And oh, okay. I get that. I watch a ton of HBO Max. Yeah, me too. Um, it's good. They rank them HBO Max, then Disney Plus. Then I, thought Net- it was a tri- I thought it was a, tr- a trick question. That's why I said Paramount. Oh, okay. Uh, then Netflix, number three. Apple Plus, uh, number four. Hulu, number five. Amazon Prime, number six. Paramount Plus, number seven. And Peacock, number eight. Hmm. So those are, at least according to 14 insiders. Hey, I wanted to ask you one question. So yesterday, I'm looking for something to watch. Mm-hmm. And I go to Netflix and I'm like, okay, tell me algorithm, great algorithm at Netflix, what I should watch. And up comes uh, my next guest needs no interruption, which is the David Letterman talk show. Needs no introduction. What did I say? Interruption. Oh, yeah. It doesn't need an interruption either, but needs, needs no introduction. So. I first of all, I started by watching Billie Eilish. This is David Letterman's show. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Then I watched Cardi B, and then I watched Will Smith. And I, I'll say this: I found Cardi B and, uh, and and Billie Eilish to be unbelievably engaging and talented and charismatic and hardworking and all that stuff. Completely get it. Will Smith. I am not surprised at all after watching that interview. Have you seen it? I have not. I'm not surprised at all that he snapped. He seems he seems like he's super, super wired up um, and really aggressively on. 
Um, mm-hmm. And he talked about how he did ayahuasca 24 times in a two-year period. Oh and he said, and God. it really helped him to sort out his mind. I'm like, keep the ayahuasca away from me. Well, I t- the fact that he had to do it 24 times, <laughs> I kind of feel like it, it just, it never stuck. Right. <laughs> he does it 24 times. Yeah, 24 times. He just keep, kept going back after more ayahuasca. So I am going to be very careful. I've always toyed with the idea of doing ayahuasca or trying ayahuasca mm-hmm. uh, because I do believe in the idea of a vision quest and all that stuff. But at the same time, I don't want to go slapping people. So I think I'm going to lay <laughs> off the ayahuasca. So um, our guest today, I'm excited about this. One of mm-hmm. the early MTV VJs back in the day. She's an actress, a model, a movie producer, an author. Her latest book is called Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who's Been Through It. Karen Duffy joins us. Karen, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love listening to you guys and I love pop culture. What could be better? Very nice. Thank you for doing this. We're excited. So first of all, I know you as, because I grew up on MTV and I know you as Duff. Are we, do you go by Duff? Do you go by Karen? How do you, how do you like to be addressed? Thank you. I've always been called Duff. Even my own family, the, the, the two people who named me never call me Karen. Um, they call my nickname is Cannonball. But uh, so it's funny that Karen is such a pejorative. And maybe I should, you know, try and use it a little bit more to kind of be. I, I'm a member of a group called the um, League of Good Karens. <laughs> the League of Good Karens. Yeah. Glad to know everybody's out there. You, so- know what, you know, what's so funny is that I never even knew what your first name was. That's, that's, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a very odd feeling, Sue, to be, feel so mislabeled as a kid. Like I've never connected. And when my son was little, he was like, sometimes I said, what's my name? And he's like, mm, Miss Duff's. <laughs> it's an odd thing to to just I just Karen has all the charm of like a rusting tuler, tuna trawler <laughs> crashing as it's like Karen these two hard syllables <laughs> planking um so it was the third most popular name in the 1960s so there are quite a lot of us yes there are yes there are so how old is your son i mean we're going to talk about the book and the book is uh is a series of letters to your son uh, how old is your son now? He's 18 and he just graduated from high school. So how does he feel about you writing this this book and sort of making him, I don't know, the, the fulcrum of the whole thing? Well, it's interesting, um, Steve, because the book Wise Up is based on Stoic philosophy. And um, Stoic philosophy is just this most practical school of thought, which essentially is we can't control what happens. We can only control how we respond. And again, how can you argue with that? So it was a series of essays that I was writing with um, my partner, uh, Francis Gasparini. And I just felt like I wanted the reader to feel so radiantly embraced by love that I thought, oh, this has got to be an epistolary. And epistolary is a, a collection of letters that the Stoics used to communicate. So it just fit, but I had to ask his permission. So who were the Stoics? 
So the Stoics were a group of philosophers um, about 20 centuries ago. Um, probably no, most notable would be Marcus Aurelius um, and, and Epictetus, who is my main man. Epictetus uh, was a teacher of Marcus Aurelius and uh, his main thought is, if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. And that reverberated through me like a firecracker in a civil factory. I'm like, yes, beautiful choices, beautiful life. How easy is that? So I wanted to kind of share uh, the idea of this very practical philosophy, but in a humorous way that perhaps people who don't normally reach for a book about philosophy, it would be palatable and funny. And we wove in lots of crazy stories and lots of facts. So it was great fun. I have to say that I, I love the book so much. And, Thank you, you know, you, you know that I'm friends with Francis, right? Oh, I, no, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. I have known Francis for probably over 20 something years. And um, he's one of my favorite, favorite people. So when he told me about your book, I was like, oh, God, absolutely. And I was saying to him that I feel like you have given your son and, and basically the world such a gift writing this book because it's 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 smart it's funny it's educational um there's historical there's a historical um aspect to it and i wanted to know like when when did you become so wise <laughs> well that's that's very kind of you um uh i think i was always courageous and with courage comes confidence. Um, I didn't want to, my, my goal is to become less stupid every day. And <laughs> after I graduated, uh, I just felt like I'm going to just continue my education, but as a polymath, as an autodidact on my own. So I tried teaching myself Latin and I take a lot of uh, courses uh, when I was diagnosed with a degenerative uh, neurological illness called sarcoidosis of the central nervous system, I, I can't move around as much. So I'm often still waiting for the medicine to kick in. And so I just dive in and take online classes and read. And uh, so it's been great fun. I mean, we forget 80% of what we learn the day before unless we really write it down and practice. So tell me, so this is a disease of the central nervous system. Is that right? Yes. Well, it can attack anywhere you have soft tissue. So um, I was diagnosed you know, right when I was on MTV. So I've lived with it for almost half my life. Um, yeah, it's no picnic. But uh, again, this is the hand I was dealt. So I kind of have to play it the best way I can. And. Do you now do you think like I, I want to know like what what inspired you to write this book letters to your son was there a specific moment where you were like wow this is something I I have to do for him for me whatever well it was interesting I think I was really it was Francis and I wrote this book as a collection of essays uh but I was at a film festival and uh, I'd been reading a lot of Seneca and then Seneca 
was a great philosopher. Um, one of my favorite quotes from him is, every new beginning comes at some other beginning's end. And I guess mm. the end of this uh, essay book uh, it turned into a, a book of letters, an epistolary, um, realizing that I could make it more intimate. Because when your books are not just like lifeless lumps of paper, I mean, they're minds alive on the shelves. So it's a dialogue. So I thought if, if Francis and I felt if we addressed it to one person and somebody that I love very much and somebody that I have an easygoing uh a great sense of humor. We joke around a lot. So that's why uh, we address them to Jack. But what's funny is I, of course, asked his permission. But in Europe, actually in France, uh, a parent can be sued by their child for posting about them on social media. Or um, yeah. So in case I had a litigious son, I thought, <laughs> all right, well, I'm going to ask your permission. And uh I thought that was interesting. That you is. Know, that is very interesting because, you know, I come from the world of stand-up comedy and I have taken many liberties with people in my life and I've talked about them <laughs> on stage. And even like working with Steve, because not only did we do this podcast, but we did a morning radio show in New York many, many years ago. And I remember saying like, oh my God, I don't know if I can actually say this stuff because they may hear it, <laughs> you know, and they may really, really be pissed off at me. But now it's like, you know, yeah, we've got this thing where we'll occasionally talk about our spouses and because our spouses, uh, God bless them, don't always listen to the show. <laughs> um, and so we can get away with saying certain things like like, for example, I, I love the, the bit in the book about your uh, your special language for your for your family. Oh, yes, um, the familect. The familect. I love that because every household has a familect. Now, it, does that come from? Where, where does that idea come from? When did that start? Well, I think it is kind of organic uh, when um, you, know, you have all these affectionate names. Like my son, when he would be in the crib, when he'd want to get out, you know, he'd start calling for, for mom and then he'd start calling me. Hey, sweetheart. Hey, monkey. <laughs> hey, cookie. He would use all the names that he would hear my husband call me. Um, and I love this idea that every, you know, every family or every close unit, we have our own language and, uh, and it's, it, it connects us. It, it, it strengthens the bonds of intimacy. Um, I really love that. And one of the things that we have in our family is, uh, no technology at the table. So only, the sports pages and philosophy books. And it's been interesting as my son has been growing up, like that it is seeping in. Like he's a hockey player. He's a goalie. He gets pucks at his head. And he's like, Hey, as Aristotle said, worries misuse of the imagination. So maybe don't worry so much. How and do you guys quote things directly? I was, I'm always amazed when I watch a speaker and they've got all these quotes like locked and ready to go. You've got all these quotes, uh, you know, whether, whether it be Seneca or, or any of the other philosophers you quote, do you, do you have all that stuff committed to memory? It's written in my heart, Steve. I, again, what I was just, when we were talking to Sue that, we forget 80% of what we've learned the day before, unless we do certain tricks. So writing down is the easiest, but also mnemonics 
And um, I try and teach myself a quote every day. And, you know, sometimes they stick around for a while. Other times they don't. The one that I'm really thinking of right now is Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, write it on your heart that Mm. every day is the best day of the year. All right. That works for me. So Mm. I just kind of like keep it in my head and uh, write it down and try and write it in my heart, as Seneca, as uh, Emerson says. Well, I feel like you've you've made us smarter by reading this book. <laughs> but one of the quotes you say, I love this, uh, life doesn't give you a manual, but it does give you a mother. Right? <laughs> and I'm wondering, during the years of raising Jack, was there times where he'd be like, all right, mom? I mean, has he always been receptive to your wisdom and what you have have taught him? Absolutely not. No. Um, And also he was in boarding school for four years. So that was another way of kind of connecting. He's an athlete. So uh, he was and uh, was traveling, playing hockey. Um, No, but what's interesting is being the mother of a son. um, I realized that, you know, with puberty, I explained that, you know, there are chemicals swimming around in your cojones that, you know, are going to kickstart your maturation. But those chemicals job are going to make you separate from me. And that one day me biting into a slice of toast will be absolutely repellent. And he's like, I don't think so. I mean, we get on really well. And one night <laughs> we were out on the terrace having dinner. And apparently I bit into a corn of cob, like sea biscuit. And he's like, that's it. You were right. <laughs> but I think it's good that I kind of warned him that uh, finding me irritating is nature's way uh, because mothers are so incredibly awesome that nature had to create a chemical to break our bond. And that's testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. Um, so I warned him. So I've always had this, uh, Sue does not have any kids. I don't have any kids. Um, I never thought I, for me, I, I won't speak for Sue. I never thought I'd be particularly good at it, but you say that, that this sort of new maturity, uh, is created when, when you have a child, right? You know, I never thought I was going to have a kid. Um, and, uh, it never really occurred to me. Um, I, I guess maybe because I was a late in life parent and, uh, I was kind of turned off by all of that, like skeevy, like overly parenting. Um, and I believe that independence is a great lesson and I'm really proud that, uh, I knew I would decant a lot of his fun if I worried about him. He does several dangerous sports, but I trust that he does them carefully. And my job is to kind of button my lip. And I would say that is the parental superpower is sometimes just, you know, buttoning your lip and not expressing that you are worried about there. Bless you. Hmm. Thank you. Uh (laughs) <laughs> Wait a minute. Did I sneeze on the show or off the no, show? I, I, no, you pantomimed. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, um, you, go ahead, Sue. No, 
there, one one thing that I I just really kind of made made me laugh a lot was that you have a lot of fun tidbits in this book. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it's, it sounds like things that Peter Marshall would have read on Hollywood Squares. And you had to <laughs> wonder, is this, is this real? Is this true? Do I put an X there? But you have this one thing where you talked about in, uh, in pagan Rome, they had no Bibles to use when making a, a solemn oath. Instead, they would grab their own family jewels and swear on their testes, which is where they get the word testify. Mm-hmm. How much research did you do and how much did you just know? Well, thank you, Sue, because um, I started collecting these random facts in a book. I was working with a guy from Caddyshack, Rodney Dangerfield. Mm -hmm. I was working with Rodney Dangerfield on a, on a, on a movie that is so horrible. I wouldn't watch it if it was screening on my own corneas. (laughs) It was called (laughs) meet Wally Sparks. It's a terrible movie, but the great thing was getting to know uh, Rodney Dangerfield. And he had a spiral notebook that he looked like he'd been carrying it around for 50 years. And he just would write down all his one-liners and facts. And when I was on MTV, I figured, you know, I've got a lot of hours to fill. And if I can, you know, point out that Thursday night at 10 p.m. is the most popular time universally around the world to have sex, then then I've done something. So I would always try and weave in um, these weird facts. And so uh, Francis and I have been writing partners, collaborators for over 20 years. So we just have a huge collection of things that make us laugh. Like one thing I love is about the margin. Do you know the history of the margin? And why no. we it's not for jotting down notes or legibility. It was because at the um, at the dawn of uh, literacy, when uh, the written word was on scrolls, and rats would nibble at the uh, edges of the scrolls. So every time we send a text, every time uh, we send an email, we are giving essentially digital rat food to the rat ancestors that lived 800 years ago. Wow. Like I love how when something so simple as a margin or why we swear, uh, why we, you know, the word testify or seminar, senator, senator means old man. And a seminar is a gathering of old men because of all the semen. So that's the root word. So we have a lot of fun, Francis and I trying to, surprise each other when we work every day with another fact that we can somehow weave in. Now, has this rubbed off on your son so much that he's giving you facts that maybe you didn't know? No, he's a man of few words. Um, I think uh, uh, when people see my son and I together, they're kind of surprised that I have such a mature son. Um, and uh, so, no, he, he will just be like, yeah, she's told me that a million times, um, which I, which, which is exactly the correct response. So you say that beautiful choices lead to a beautiful life, I think is roundabout the quote. Yes. Um, you haven't always made the best choices. Uh, and, and in the book, you're, you're kind of honest about the fact that you, 
you wanted to be straight up with uh, with your son Jack about it. Well, it's interesting, Steve, because I think parenting can be so performative. You're always like, I'm a good employee. I'm a good citizen. Well, no, like I think he can learn more when I've actually fallen short and been a huge jackass is a great opportunity for learning. Um, I mean, a great cataclysmic lesson within the past few years is I always felt that loyalty was a virtue that you have to be, if you are a friend, it's a friend for life and loyalty is a virtue. And then I realized, no, it's not, not when, you know, you don't respect the person or the choices or who they are. It is absolutely your duty to weed your social garden. So um, I think it's important. We often try and cover up our mistakes or um, where we've screwed up. Uh, And I think we should be honest with ourselves and with our kids so they understand that we are fallible. And when they screw up, maybe they will be more open to coming to you. Yeah, it's like I, I grew up in a time where, you know, children should be seen, not heard, which (laughs) I think of that statement sometimes. And I, I can't believe that my parents subscribed to that. You know, I mean, that was just it. I mean, I didn't really, I could never state my case about stuff because I was always wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, like I, I said before, it's such a gift to be able to be this open and look, you know, you're, not to say that modern parents are all like you, you know what I mean? I think there are a lot of modern parents that still believe in the old way of doing things. Um, so what was it like when you were growing up? Um, what, what were your parents like? Uh, I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family where um, I would say, yes, there was not, a, there, there was an absolute, the the roles of parent were pretty much they they were omnipresent they were they made all the decisions um and i think that's why you know i flew the coop when i was 18 um going you know to catholic schools and seeing women not have any power i think that inspired me to try and you know make a make a life for myself um you know it's interesting that you know the word teenage or the, the concept of like teenage is is pretty recent like it was coined in the 40s and that really the whole idea of a teenage as a area of a, a segment a demographic was because of the great depression the first people to lose their jobs were kids because there were mm. no child labor laws so there were all these unemployed kids. So that's where they made compulsory education. And that was the first time that uh, kids in the age from, say, 13 to 18 were actually together. Otherwise, they'd been out in agrarian lifestyles. So it's interesting. We think, well, teenage has been around forever or weekend has been around forever. But these are actually relatively new concepts. You know, I said the other night, and I've said this before, um, I read some story about somebody that, that tweeted and got a, a, a teenager, and I thought, boy, the, the philosophers could not have contemplated uh, social media. 
Um, what what were your social media guidelines for Jack as as he was growing up? Well, um, we lucky for for us we um, have a place in uh, Northwest Connecticut in the Berkshires where we still don't have cell phone service. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, from home, you can get onto a line and, and in school, but also like at his school, like they turn off the um, internet at 10 PM. So um, I, I think that that was a really uh, smart way uh, to, to grow up, especially um, he thinks that I, am overserved in my media diet. He's the one who said, let me check how long you've been on. Like, uh, let, let me look at your phone. It was interesting. Uh, he was joking around with me the other day. And he's like, like he goes, I, I, I mean, he, I knew at some point I was going to have to parent my parent, but I didn't realize I'd have to do it now. Yeah, I, I would think, you know, being a parent in this, in mo- this modern age would be very difficult. I have a sister who's uh, three years older than me and she has her daughters are grown now but when they were growing up she never ever allowed them to watch television like they never watched tv i'm on they, they didn't have a tv in their house um and i thought wow i mean how do you how, how do you get away with that you know in, in the modern <laughs> world you know how do they not like how do they not like hate you for this because you know they went to a public school so they were, were out of the loop about a lot of things. And, you know, they're grown now and they're great kids and they have children. But I couldn't even imagine that because it, it, skipped, a, it skipped a generation. But I yeah. grew up with television, you know. It, it's, you know, it's very funny. Uh, was Mark Twain said, everything in moderation, including moderation. So, uh, you know, it's okay to go off on a Netflix binge or you know, it's like, that is part of our humanity. I don't expect perfection. Um, and, uh, but no, it's just been interesting that, or possibly because I'm raising a male who doesn't have a lot of the pressures to feel popular. He has other ways that he feels good about himself. So I kind of at the beginning of the conversation mentioned MTV and I was a child of the MTV age and you were one of the people I saw, uh, all the time on MTV. What what was that period of your life like? I mean, MTV, now it's a bunch of shows like Road Rules Challenge and stuff like Then it was videos and you were the VJ. What was that like? It was, it was incredible because uh, prior to MTV, I was working at a nursing home. I was a recreational therapist and my job was calling bingo and uh, <laughs> organizing the Frank Sinatra Appreciation Society. And I was, uh, so it was it, like, my job was to help this community where I'd been volunteering since I was 12. I went to college and moved back to New York and got the job that I loved. And I realized that working with the elderly, with people with Alzheimer's and dementia, that I had a skill set that was very particular for um, populations that had a short attention span. So everyone kept saying, MTV's ruining the attention span. So I realized, well, that's perfect for me. So (laughs) I had never been on camera. I had never had, uh, I 
I'd never been in broadcasting, but I made a video and sent it in unsolicited. I think that was on a Friday and went in for a screen test. And again, I felt like I snuck into a party and was just waiting to get booted out. So I didn't take it terribly seriously. And then I wound up getting the job. And um, again, not taking it seriously, kind of understanding that I didn't write this music. I didn't perform it. I, there, there were a couple of VJs that would seem so precious. And I was like, hey, I'm just like you. And I'm a fan. So it was a ball. And it was uh, an, an, an amazing experience. I still kept my job. I turned to becoming a volunteer at the nursing home because I felt that that was something I was good at. And that couldn't be taken away. And I could get booted out of MTV any minute. So I think having something that you do for love is great, especially when you're in a business that is so unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, we, we love uh, the book. It's called Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who's Been Through It. Uh, Duff, thank you so much for doing this. Great meeting you. Great reading you too. God bless Fredo. I'll say a little prayer to St. Francis, the patron saint of animals. And um, thank you. It was so nice to meet both of you. Thank you very much. There you have it. There is Duff. We just, we don't call her Karen Duffy anymore. We, we've been given permission to call her Duff. We're, we're part of the Duff Club. Exactly. Um, and man, I wish I knew a couple of quotes, just a couple of quotes. I know. I'm just like, do, do you, does any quote come to mind? If no. I say, come up with a quote, like, no. like, for example, she quoted Emerson. I can quote Emerson. Who you are is speaking so loudly. I can't hear what you're saying. That's one I remember. No, I, I don't have um, access to a lot of quotes. No, I really don't. It's, you don't have something. access to them in your well, head I, like, or like, you don't have access know. to them in life. Well, I, I can I can go online and access them. I can physically access them, but I'm not someone who can just spout out quotes like yeah i always wanted to be one of those people yeah me too wouldn't it be cool well you still have time yeah (laughs) you still have time i believe it's i believe it's late i've i've killed too many brain cells with the uh with the uh the old pura yesca um all right uh, don't forget you can subscribe to the culture pop podcast on apple spotify or at stevemason.com leave us a rating and a review sue thanks a lot and we will see everybody next time on the culture pop podcast